So this morning I like to speak about the last factor, uh, wholesome concentration or right concentration. And let's start with doing the mantra, please. Samadhiti Samma Sankapo Samma Vaja Samma Kamanto Samma Achivo Samma Vayamo Samma Sati Samma Samadhi Samadhiti Samma Sankapo Samma Vacha Samma Kamanto Samma Achivo Samma Vayamo Samma Sati Samma Samadhi Samadhiti Samma Sankapo Samma Vacha Samma Kamanto Samma Achivo Samma Vayamo Samma Sati Samma Samadhi So, so the word samadhi comes from samatahati, which means to put together in, in the sense of you know going in a forest and collecting wood and then making a fire out of it. So it's a very you know simple concept actually, collecting the mind, you know, which is very often very scattered. You know, and we know we have this evolutionary negativity bias, so we always want to preempt, you know, surprises. And and uh, samatahati is really kind of going against that instinct, you know, of of gathering the mind together and uh, you know making a, a fire for insight, really. And, uh, you know, in the last hundred years or so, the word has mostly been translated as right concentration and it doesn't really give the right impression because it, it has a, a certain sense of, you know, um, narrowness to it. But right concentration doesn't mean narrow, it just means undistracted or stable, still, collected and that extra element of narrowness which through con through the word of concentration comes in we should you know kind of delete that from your mind if you can and uh, I think collectedness of mind is really a very good word or stability you know really being able to stay with the chosen object and not veering off you know into all kinds of other areas, you know, into going into flatland 
and going into the depths. So that, that sense of stability and collectedness allows us to go into the depths. And, uh, and that's where wisdom you know, is cultivated by looking under the surface of appearances and seeing that, you know, which is hard to see. And that's like what we pass on our inside meditation is all about. And, uh, you know, the, the possibility to, to collect and stabilize the mind is, is very much dependent on sila, on, on ethics, you know, because if we have good ethics and little or no regrets, you know, there's a certain amount of, of a still and um, calm happiness, you know, which then is the basis, you know, for the mind to collect. There has to be a certain amount of, of happiness, you know, a certain amount of contentment, rather, maybe that's a better word, contentment there, you know, for the mind to be able to let go of the infatuation with the senses, you know. So there needs to be, you know, something in exchange for the pleasure which the senses can provide and a certain amount of having seen, you know, the limitations of sense pleasures that one develops that sensitivity and interest, you know, in a different kind of happiness which is, you know, based on, on, on good ethics. Number one, you know, because that's how we can really waste a lot of energy by doing all kinds of things and then have to backtrack, you know, and repair and apologize and get into lots of messes, you know, basically. So if that is cut out from our life, then we can use all of that energy to, you know, go into the depths, not losing us you know, in endless complexities of of the world, really. And, uh, you know, and through the power and continuity of mindfulness, this is how, you know, how naturally the progression unfolds. And, uh, you know, concentration, there's like two main types of concentration, two applications. You know, if mindfulness is directed to a single object, you know, in a, in a sustained way, then um, that leads, you know, to ever deeper states of, of, of samadhi, of uh, collectedness of mind. And then finally, in what's called the eight jhanas or meditative absorptions, that's very powerful, you know, states of um, consciousness altered states of consciousness, you know, they are progressive, starting with the first jhana up to the eighth jhana, and a little bit later I'll speak a little bit more about that. Or the second, uh, you know, way how concentration can be directed is, or collectedness can be directed is to note change, you know, to note change in the experience, and uh, through that, you know, having an increasing understanding about the three characteristics and we've been mentioning impermanence, unsatisfactoriness and not self or emptiness. You know, through noting change in a continuous way, like on a retreat or there's like certain, you know, meditation uh, lineages such as, for example, the Burmese school, you know, they are very much working in that way, you know, 
It's all about staying with your experience and noting whatever is happening. And through that noting, you know, we just the a concentration can come about, which goes like deeper and deeper and seeing more and more how these three characteristics permeate everything, you know. And uh, so this is the two different ways, you know, how, how samadhi can be applied. And, you know, if we apply it to the first uh, way, you know, to um, cultivating absorption, then, you know, when, when the individual comes out from the absorption, when, because it's only a temporary absorption, of course, you know, so when the time is to come out, then the mind is very satisfied, very stable, very still, very happy, you know, and then, and very pliable, soft, you know, and, and doesn't need anything. And then that mind, you know, is directed to noting the three characteristics as well. And that's where then the breakthrough can come, you know, when the time is right. Because, you know, insight into the three characteristics, that's the gateway to the four stages, you know, of enlightenment. In, in the Chanic state, that is not possible, you know. But when, when the individual comes out from the Chanic state, then the mind is so pure, you know, that then it can very quickly penetrate very deeply and integrate it on a very deep level. So that's why the chanas have been, you know, so much uh, spoken about in the scriptures also, because when the individual comes out of the chana, then the mind is ready. And, uh, you know, the mental factor of concentration is present in every, in every moment of consciousness. But when we are practicing in this way, we are just taking that which is already present in seed form and, and, and you know, make a concerted effort to intensify it, you know. And uh, this factor of one-pointedness, and in Pali it's called Chit Ekagata, of mind has the function of unifying all other mental factors in the task of cognition. So, you know, it's in, it supports seeing what's happening. And, but it's only, you know, Sama Samadhi, what I'm speaking about right now, that's only that kind of concentration or collectedness which is informed by right view. Because, for example, you know, somebody, uh, you know, an assassin shooting somebody from very far also has to be very one-pointed, you know, able to be successful. But it's, of course, not connected, you know, with right view, so therefore it's not Sama Samadhi. It's, it's something else, you know. Or somebody, you know, being a very, let's say, somebody collecting, you know, certain stamps or whatever, and then with a very keen eye says, oh, there's this one stamp I'm looking for since a long time. That's not Sama Samadhi. <laughs> Even, you know, it, it, it has a semblance to it, yeah. So it has to be connected with right view, which means, you know, an understanding of the Four Noble Truths. Yeah. And then also, you know, what I maybe want to mention is that one can get a bit addicted, you know, to the pleasure or to the happiness of 
a stable and collected mind, you know, and then one might have had a very good experience and the next day you go back and you, ch you want to have it again and then it's just not happening, you know. So then we can, we can learn from inside, you know, we can learn what, you know, how it is. If there's attachment, there's a lot of suffering, you know. So it's not that we can't learn from it, but we need to know, we need to understand that there is like a little bit of a danger in, in this kind of a practice, in a practice of jhanas, you know, being attached and, um, and then, you know, really um, take, it can take for some people a very long time, you know, to be able to just let it go. And then often that's the moment when it, it, it comes again. So, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a tricky area, you know, and also it depends on the individual. Some people have a talent for it and one might think, you know, they might have cultivated this in previous lifetimes or they just have a talent for that, you know, and others have less of that because there's different avenues, you know, towards enlightenment. In the scriptures mentioned as well, you know, the royal highway of the Chanic path, you know, it's very grand. You, you could say, or like the the tough, dry path of of the inside practitioner, you know, who is who is gaining gaining um, liberation through seeing the three characteristics without having the pleasure of the Chanic states, you know. But there, in the end of the day, the result is the same. But there's just like we have different lives, you know. And one person drives, uh, I don't know, a Rolls Royce and somebody else a uh, Volkswagen, you know, it's like that, but they both get to, the, get to the destination, you know, it doesn't really matter, you know, there's just different uh, expressions, you know, of the journey and, and this, uh, you know, difference between jhana, path and dry inside path is is quite uh, distinct you know and and it's important to um, make some space around that and and you know see what what is your path you know and the Buddha also said you know without concentration the mind is like a fish flopping on dry land, you know, it can't, a certain amount of concentration, you know, can't stay still, can't stay still, there's so much agitation and that deludes the mind, of course, you know, and then we can't see clearly. And then, you know, if, if the mind has a certain amount of stillness, it's like, uh, you know, like a, a mountain lake, you know, if there is no wind going over the surface of the lake, it's just clear and still and we can look into the lake and we can see the fish and the stones and everything which is in the water. And at the same time, also the landscape around is reflected in the surface of the lake. And then if the wind comes, you know, ruffles the surface, then it's already kind of distorted, you know. So this stillness is necessary in order to see clearly. It can be either the chanic stillness, you know, or the, the stillness from coming out of chana, or also like a momentary stillness, you know, which is enough. 
at least for the first two stages of enlightenment, you know. So even for the, for the first two stages of enlightenment, um, what's called neighborhood concentration, which is the kind of concentration when we are kind of approaching first jhana, you know, is considered to be enough for the first two stages of enlightenment, stream entry and um, once returner. So, you know, this momentary concentration and neighborhood concentration. Momentary concentration, for example, is just the kind of concentration you need in order to put a key into a keyhole, you know, when you unlock the door. So it's not a big deal, isn't it? Anybody can do that. And then the next step would be what's called neighborhood concentration because it's, you know, it's close to first absorption but isn't yet first absorption. So that's like, um, you know, a concentration which is well within our reach. And, and that's considered to be enough, you know, to, to look into at the three characteristics, you know, and, and when it's the right time that ripening, you know, is occurring. And what is, you know, what is, what is seen is, you know, the arising and ceasing, really, of the five khandhas. I think you were mentioning the five khandhas at one point. And, you know, and that, so it has to be connected with right view, because we have to, a certain extent, we have to also you know, know what we are looking for. So to have a, a certain kind of a theoretical understanding of the teaching, of the basics of the teaching, which you all have, you know, if you've been here for these few days, you have it, because we were speaking about it. Four Noble Truths, Noble Eightfold Path, three characteristics, that's, you know, encapsulates the basics. But not in the sense of, that's like, you know, for beginners, but I mean the basics in terms of that's the essence, you know, of of the teaching. And then, you know, it's as we also mentioned earlier, it's, it's a spiral, you know, which leads deeper and deeper into the depths, deeper and deeper under the surface of appearances. You know, what the senses display to us, we have to look underneath. And the Buddha also said, you know, that if there is no respect, you know, for concentration or for stability of mind, for that kind of uh, cultivation, the teachings will decay and disappear. So there, it, it is an important factor. That's why it's mentioned, you know, in the Noble Eightfold Path. And, you know, the lives which most people live in this day and age with the, the amount of speed and the amount of input we get every day, it's, <laughs> it's difficult, you know, to develop any kind of stability. So it's really important to make, you know, make some priorities and, and do some, you know, selecting of what we're going to let into the system, you know, because if we don't check, if we don't put a check on all of this, it's just really kind of wearing us completely down. You know, and where maybe like hundred years ago, and 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 more than hundred years ago, it was power. Information was power. You know, to get information because it's difficult. 
everything took a very long time. But I think in this day and age, power is to select, you know, which kind of information you are concerning yourself with and what you just leave to one side, because it's, it, it can eat you up. It's too much information, a lot of, you know, messy information which lacks any importance or any makes no sense, you know, but it's, it's very difficult to to protect oneself from all of this avalanche coming, you know, every day. So I think that we have to specialize more in how to select nowadays because there's no lack of stuff coming. And I just want to speak a little bit maybe about the chanas, just as an overview. You know, they are mentioned a lot in the, in the scriptures and they are, you know, part of what is right samadhi or wholesome, you know, collectedness of mind. And the Buddha himself obviously has practiced it a lot and it's, it's mentioned, you know, he was going up and down the chanas, he was totally proficient in being able to do this. And they are skillful means for stilling the mind. And, you know, and if one has this kind of happiness available, you know, if one is, is good at, at that, then our dependence on the five, on all other things, you know, which are satisfying the senses is much less, you know, because there's this kind of... Uh, satisfaction which comes from a much more subtle activity than eating or you know having a racing your car down the country lane or whatever the things people like to do you know <laughs> <laughs> so it's a much more subtled kind of a taste, you know, it, it penetrates much deeper into the system. And then coming out of that, there is no need, you know, those coarse things, they just, they are not attractive. And, uh, and also, you know, while uh, an individual is in the chanas, you know, the, of course, the, the five hindrances are suspended. And, and it's like a progressively deeper and deeper absorption, you know, and there is like some stages, you know, where there is no more, the, the body is not perceived any longer, no hearing. So it's just like, an, you know, like a very, very deep re relaxation and rest and, and pause, you know, from the impact of the world. And, and then when the mind emerges from it, it is very, very clean and clear, you know, and able to see really clearly, you know, the, the characteristics. And that's why the jhana is practiced, you know, in order to have that capacity afterwards on emergence. But then because of the pleasure of it, people can get very hooked on it, you know like years and years that the mind just doesn't, you know, want to let go. So that's a problem, I guess, you know. And I remember we've heard of one teacher, I think Ajahn Tate, wasn't it? Ajahn Munindo's teacher, you know, who was like for 15 years, you know, stuck 
in the jhanas and then but then there were Ajahn Man, another teacher, helped him, you know, to to come out of that. So it's not without pitfalls either, you know, like nothing in life. And but we can learn from the attachment as well, you know, at least you know, you know, from many kinds of attachment we can learn in the practice and just seeing, you know, how how it can, you know, keep us stuck for a long time until we're ready, you know, we're ready to relinquish. And before that we can't, and that's just how it is, you know, that's part of the learning process. And uh, so the, the chanas are uh, kind of, there's two different sections. The first four chanas are called fine material chanas. And then, and then there's another four which are based on the fourth of the first four. They are called the four immaterial chanas. And the first four chanas, they don't have special names. They're just called first, second, third, and fourth. And then the other ones, they have special names. The number five is immeasurable space. Number six is immeasurable consciousness. Number seven is nothingness. And number eight is neither perception nor non-perception. So just that you've heard that word once. And uh, and the fourth jhana, you know, is also the basis for developing um, what's called the psychic powers, the idis. And you know, there are all kinds of incredible things, you know, walking through walls, walking on water, sinking into the earth, and all kinds of things, you know, where because of the power of the of the stability of the mind you know, certain laws of nature, they don't apply. And they are not miracles, but they are just like, that's the way things are when the mind is collected to this extent. And, and then there is also uh, other psychic powers. And they are mentioned in... Uh, in the scriptures quite regularly as well, and they are called the, the, the three knowledges. This is the, the divine eye, being able to recollect one's past lives, and then being able to see the passing and, and reappearing of people who pass away, you know, seeing where they were at when they, when they died and where they have been reborn. And these two insights, you know, the Buddha had them in, in the night of his enlightenment. And that's just, uh, you know, a way how, how he gained more kind of energy, you know, in keep on going, seeing, you know, about his past lives, how many, many, many lifetimes he already had been practicing. And... Uh, and the passing away and reappearing of individuals, you know, is also like it can give one an initiative, you know, to practice because we can see, you know, that the reappearing in the next lifetime is dependent on on our mind, you know. And then the last one of the three knowledges is know, knowing, you know, this mind has been liberated. So, 
you know, it is possible to realize enlightenment without the jhanas, but it looks like, you know, that the Buddha has been practicing the jhanas and many of the disciples, you know, spoken about in the scriptures as well. And it seems to be that in this day and age, that is, these practices has become much rarer because lifestyles are so different. But I think it's just good, you know, to know about them and and at the same time, you know, not kind of stressing oneself out and, and starting to kind of force oneself to go this path if that's not working for you. Because it's it's just one path. Yes. Yeah, yeah, um, yes, yeah, that's important. Uh, another body was just reminding me, you know, before the Buddha, you know, did his own practice, first he followed the, you know, instructions of his father, and that didn't really work for him. At a certain age, he left home, and then he had two very accomplished teachers who were both teaching jhana, but they, they taught the jhana which was not in combination with right view. So it wasn't really liberating, and he noticed that. So he left those two teachers. Even they, you know, offered him to become their heir, you know, and leader of the of the sangha and all of those things. But he didn't. He wasn't interested. He he had the feeling there's more. There's more which I don't know yet, you know. And then when he was developing the noble eightfold path, which starts with right view, which is an understanding of the four noble truths. He was practicing jhana then, you know, in combination with right view, and that really led to liberation. Yeah, you can say, you can say. Say it. And nobody wants to say something. <laughs> Sorry, it's very bad. Passing on someone else's talk, but Fine. I just I, because I don't want people to be left thinking, oh, but really, I do really need to have the jhanas. I really should have the jhanas. I, I mean, I essentially has emphasised that there's there's d- these different ways through the talk, um, but I just want to say that there are also uh, a number of um, cases in the suttas where people realise awakening, you know, without using the jhanas at all. And in fact, we're... we're um, Bikunis, yeah. Yeah, and, and bhikkhus. Uh, mm. uh, reading from the Terigata, there's quite a number of those those uh, enlightenment stories. So it's like nuns talking about their enlightenment, en- enlightenment experiences. Quite a number of them are very clearly not in jhana. They're often like they've been, they've been practicing, they've been putting the energy in for a long time, they've been putting effort in, and then... They kind of often feel like, you know, either either they're tired and they're going to go and rest, or they're kind of feeling hopeless because it's not working, and then they rest, and then boom. Like Ananda, you know, when I was speaking, when he was trying to put his head on the pillow in that moment, right? Or you know, water pot breaking, and going to the river to get, you know, having practicing all day, go to the river to get some water for to take back to your hut, and then you get the water and you pick up the the clay pot and then it drops and smashes open and at the moment the pot smashes open the mind also breaks open and is free things like this you know these nuns are not sitting in jhana and and getting it it's it's the combination of the of putting the effort in 
the energy and the effort in and the and the letting go it's that it's a, it's a it's a balance of those two or a combination of those two so for some people there's a natural propensity to jhana and then that's that's your path but there are people who think that they should have jhana and struggle and struggle and struggle all their life trying to get jhanas when they actually maybe ought to be doing it a different way so that's why I wanted to just say a little bit because it may, I've, I've known too many people who've done that and it kind of makes me sad really that they've given up because they haven't been able to go the way they think they should go rather than changing the way they're doing it. So. And also I think what I should mention is you know, that different traditions and different lineages have different view of what is jhana. You know? So that's also something... Because in the scriptures, I mean, there's a lot of information in there, but people look at it in different ways. So, you know, it's not that it's all cut and tried exactly clear. So, you know, there's different opinions about the level of collectedness and stability in order to be able to call it first jhana. So, it's just like many other things in, in life, you know. Lots of opinions. And if for enlightenment we have to leave all of that behind, you know, and just be with the simplicity of of what's happening right now. And this is, you know, right concentration. I think we can get a quite a, a feeling about what it is, that it is about just what I said at the very beginning, you know, collecting wood and putting it on one heap and then make a fire. So in case you get confused, just come back to that simple image, you know. And, you know, in combination with the other path factors, I think we already have a lot of information. We just really need to apply it, you know. That's the, that's the point. Okay. So now we can apply it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.